This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the fifth podcast for Section 4.1 of A Student's Guide to Maxwell's Equations. Subject of this podcast is the rate of change of electric flux, and the relevant section of the text begins on page 91. This second term on the right-hand side of the Ampere-Maxwell law should look familiar to you. It's the electric field equivalent to the time rate of change of the magnetic flux that appears in the most common version of the integral form of Faraday's law. Before we get into the details of the meaning of this term, there may be two things you're wondering about. The first is, what took so long? After all, more than 35 years went by between the appearance of Ampere's law and the second term that Maxwell added to make it the Ampere-Maxwell law. Faraday had discovered electromagnetic induction in 1831, so how is it that it was more than 25 years later before someone added a term like this to Ampere's law? The similarity of Ampere's law to Faraday's law is striking. The left side of both equations involves the circulation of a vector field around a closed path, and on the right side of Faraday's law, of course, is the time rate of change of the magnetic flux. So purely from symmetry considerations, it would seem to make sense that a term like this would be needed for Ampere's law as well. However, you should bear in mind that symmetry isn't always the best guide between electricity and magnetism. After all, as far as we know, there are no magnetic monopoles, and yet the universe is rife with positive and negative electric charges. Furthermore, in the 19th century, there wasn't any experimental evidence suggesting the need for this term. So it's actually not surprising to me that other researchers had not come up with this term before Maxwell did in the 1860s. And that's the other thing you may be wondering about. What was it that led Maxwell to this term? Most of the introductory level physics books give an example that we're about to look into in this section, but that's not actually how Maxwell became aware of the need for this term. Instead, he had constructed a mechanical analogy in which magnetic fields were represented by whirling vortices and electric current by small particles squeezed between those vortices and moved along by the rotation of the vortices. Now, Maxwell did not really believe that magnetic fields were physically whirling vortices and electric currents were small particles pushed along by those vortices, but he did realize that this was an analogy from which he could learn something about the relationships between electric fields, magnetic fields, and electric currents. And when he added elasticity to his vortices, that is, he let them deform a bit under stress, he saw the need for another term. When he did that, he discarded the model which had shown him the need for the term, but kept the mathematics. And it was that term that led Maxwell to the electromagnetic theory of light. You can understand the need for this term just by considering the circulation of the magnetic field and the enclosed current for a situation such as that shown in figure 4.6 at the top of page 92. Notice that we've got a battery and a switch and a capacitor that's going to charge up. When the switch is closed, current begins to flow. And imagine that we make a small loop. It's labeled the Amperian loop in figure 4-6. And we ask ourselves, what is the current enclosed by that loop? Now remember what we said in the previous section. We can determine the enclosed current by imagining a membrane stretched across our path and asking, what is the current that penetrates that membrane. In this case, it's pretty obvious if we make a flat membrane and stretch it straight across that loop, as is shown on the top of page 93 in figure 4.7a, that current I penetrates that membrane. So the magnetic field circulation around that loop should be proportional to current I. 
But what if, instead of selecting a flat membrane, we pick a surface for which this loop is still a boundary, but the surface itself is more like the stocking cap, or in this case, more like a chef's cap, that goes from the loop between the plates of the capacitor and back to the other side of the loop, like that shown in 4.7b in the middle of page 93. We said earlier that the magnetic field circulation around the loop depends only on the current enclosed by the loop, that is, the current penetrating any surface for which the loop is a boundary. But clearly, if you pick the flat membrane, as in 4.7a, current I penetrates that membrane, but if you pick the chef's cap membrane of the B part of that figure, there's no current penetrating that. Why? Because between the plates of the capacitor, there is no current. So we arrive at a contradiction. If we say that the magnetic field circulation around that loop is proportional to the current enclosed by that loop, we have two different answers for the enclosed current depending on how we select our surface. In 4.7a, we would have current I. In 4.7b, we would have zero current penetrating the surface and therefore zero current enclosed by that loop. So which is the right answer? To answer that, you have to ask yourself, what might be going on between the plates of that capacitor that has some bearing on the magnetic field around our Amperian loop? Well, you know what's happening to the capacitor once that switch is thrown. While the capacitor is charging, an electric field is building up between the plates of the capacitor. Why? Because we're getting positive charges on one plate and negative charges on the other plate. And of course, that means there's an electric field in the space between the plates. So while there's no current penetrating our chef's cap surface, there is a changing electric flux over that surface. And it's relatively straightforward to determine what that changing flux is. After all, we know that flux over any surface S is just the integral of E dot n hat dA over that surface. That's written at the bottom of page 93 in equation 4.4. In this case, we know the electric field because the electric field between the plates of a capacitor is sigma over epsilon naught, which is just twice the field of a single infinite flat plane. So in equation 4.4, we can substitute for E sigma, the charge density on the plates, divided by epsilon naught. But of course, the charge density is just Q, the amount of charge at any given time, divided by A, the area of the plates. So as you see in the middle section of that equation, we've substituted for sigma Q over A, and if we assume that the charge is uniformly distributed across the plates, we can pull the Q and the A and the epsilon naught out of the integral. We just get Q over A epsilon naught times the integral of dA, but of course the integral of dA is just capital A, the capital A's cancel, and we're left with Q over epsilon naught as shown at the end of equation 4.4. So if that's the electric flux between the plates, it's an easy matter to find the change in flux with time. We simply take the derivative of that, as shown in equation 4.5 on page 94, and the derivative with respect to time of q over epsilon naught. Again, epsilon naught is constant with time, so it comes out. We get 1 over epsilon naught dq dt. Then, when we multiply through by epsilon naught, you see in equation 4.6, we get a term on the left side that is epsilon naught times the time derivative of the electric flux, and it's equal to 
dQdt, the change in charge with time. Of course, that has units of coulombs per second, which are the units of current. So the time derivative of the electric flux multiplied by epsilon naught gives us a term that has units of amperes. In other words, the same units as current. And isn't that exactly what we might expect when we're looking for another source of the magnetic field around our Amperean loop? Not long after Maxwell added this term to Ampere's law, others began calling it the displacement current. Now, it's important for you to understand, this term has units of current, but it does not represent the physical flow of charge between the plates of that capacitor. The displacement current is a current only in the sense that it is a source for the magnetic field. This is written out in equation 4.7 at the bottom of page 94, where it says I sub D, the displacement current, is defined as the permittivity of free space, epsilon naught, times the time rate of change of the electric flux over surface S. This certainly resolves our dilemma. Now when we determine the circulation of the magnetic field around our path C, it doesn't matter if we take the flat membrane, which means the enclosed current is just current I, or we take the chef's hat membrane, which goes between the plates of the capacitor and has no conduction current running through it, but it does have displacement current running through it. Therefore, we get the same value for the circulation of the magnetic field no matter which surface shape we choose and the inconsistency in Ampere's law for the time-changing current situation is resolved. After this section, there are some example problems for you to look at to see how to calculate the displacement current, how this works. Then you can read about the differential form of the Ampere-Maxwell law. But all of this is leading up to the fact that this term is directly responsible for Maxwell's discovery of the electromagnetic nature of light.